Thank you for that word and prayer, Brother Rick. We appreciate that. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. While you're making your way over there, I was so blessed this morning by the music. I, uh, that, the tenderness, especially of that last choral piece, just just blessed me so much. And I was reminded of several things that I'm blessed by. I'm blessed by the fact that we have a choir at First Baptist Church. Also, I'm blessed by the fact, I don't know, uh, go to other churches every now and again, uh, or you see them online and stuff like that, is that in the choir, they're filled with ladies and there's like two guys. And that's wonderful that ladies are in the choir, but I don't know what it is that all across the country, men don't sing in the choir. But here they do. And because of that, we are blessed. Can you thank our brothers for singing to the choir this morning? And I know there are some men out there that can sing, and for whatever reason, uh, it has not been your time to get up there. Well, may it, it, may it be that it could be that God is going to use this comment to say, you know what, I ought to be up there and join the song. I was reading an article this week where it said, people who sing in choirs live longer. It's serious. They live longer because of the camaraderie, the stress relief, all of those things. So anyway, if that is something that you feel like God was leading you to do, I know they would love to have you. So I would encourage you again, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 20. We're going to read a few of the verses that we read last week as we talk about not just the call of Abraham, but now his first thing that he does after he gets to the Canaan land. Uh, and today's title is this, She's My Sister Faith. During this time of the mark of faith, during this whole series, which is um, eight weeks long over a nine-week period, during the mark of faith, we are talking about how our lives have been marked by faith and that how those marks are left behind to the next generation. I was so moved and touched by Miss Shelley's testimony. And just also, it's inspiring to me as a, as a dad uh, that just a few comments that have just blessed my socks off in the last few weeks. My oldest daughter, a couple of weeks ago, uh, at lunch, on Sunday lunch, she told her mother, she said, uh, hey, you know, I was thinking, you know, one day when, you know, I leave the house and get married, I, I sure hope that I get to come to my church so my kids can come here. And I thought, oh, let me get that on recording. <laughs> Boy, that made my daddy heart so proud. And I'm like, dear God, may it be. But I didn't, you know, of course, I was like, oh, Oh, yeah, well, you know, if that's what God wants. But inside, I'm like, yay! All that stuff. But, but anyway, and then another one. I uh, was attending a funeral here not too long ago, and I, I was dressed up in a, a suit to go to the funeral. And uh, I got up that morning, had my suit on, and I walked in, and my youngest son and my youngest daughter both looked at me and said, oh, is it church day? I said, no, it's not church day today. And then they were dismayed. And I'm reminded did. It's not just my faith, it's your faith, it's what God is doing amongst us, and it becomes an intergenerational thing. Friends, children who love church turn into adults who love church. Children who experience God turn into adults that experience God. A multi-generational church is what God has designed for his people. We are so blessed to be here, and may God continue to leave the mark of faith, not just in our lives, but for generations to come. 
Now, Abraham is the father of the faith. If any man's life has been marked by faith, it has been Abraham. In Genesis chapter 1 through 20, we're going to read some of that story. Genesis, excuse me, chapter 12, 1 through 20. The word of our God says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that it will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai and Lot, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going towards the Negev. That's the wilderness in the southern portion of Canaan. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So our main statement this morning on this is that God uses fakes. God uses fakes. In fact, that is all that he has ever used. 
God uses fakes. In fact, that's all that he has ever used. It's been about four years ago, but I was out in town and I ran into a lady and we got to talking about First Baptist Church. And I said, oh, okay. Of course, I'm very interested to talk about First Baptist. She didn't know who I was. And she said, well, she had a negative view of our church. She said, you know, I've heard that the pastor there is a hypocrite. And I said, do tell. I said, really? I said, you know what? I've not just heard it. I know it to be true. And she said, really? Well, how do you know it? I said, because he's me. Because he's me. She said, oh, I, I hope she wasn't embarrassed too bad. But there is no doubt a hypocrite is someone who puts on an act. Now, I certainly don't set out each morning to put on an act and be a hypocrite. But I'd be lying if I said that I never fake it to make it. We all do that. And even when you look at the life of Abram, there is nobody that bats a hundred in the kingdom of God except for one name that's above every name, and that's Jesus. So everybody else, we all fall short. We all fall short. And the Bible, though, once we, we will get to that, but the Bible is filled with stories of human faithfulness. The Bible is filled with stories of human faithfulness, and certainly the story of Abraham is one of faithfulness. When you look at the call of Abram, it is a call that testifies of faithfulness. In fact, the call of Abram is a beaming testimony of faithfulness. In fact, Abram's obedience to follow God and to go wherever God leads into this new land called Canaan is going to be the mark of faith for the rest of the Bible. Remember, the mark of faith is what we do in our lives in order that it might be a blessing not only to those around us in the present day, but for generations to come. Abram's obedience and Abram's faithfulness becomes a mark and a legacy, so much so we're still talking about it today. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, when he is commenting on the faithfulness of Abram, is speaking about this in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Even all those years later, they are still talking about the faith of Abraham. Do you have a story like that? Do you have a story that is defining in your family? Some of you know a little bit about my life, that I'm from East Tennessee. My mother's side of our family, we come from a place called Cades Cove. My, my ancestors actually had to vacate the cove uh, because it became federal property. But on my mother's side, that's where they come out of that side. And it, there's a particular, there's two families in there that I'm related to, the Shields and the Olivers, and their structures that they lived in are still standing there to this day. If you were to go to that place, those are my grandparents. And anyway, there is this one particular character named Friedrich Shields. He's a great, great, great 
Maybe one more great-grandfather. I, 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 you know, I have to check Ancestry.com again. But it, anyway, he, he's on back there. And we have a story that remains from this guy. He was five feet tall and that there was a mountain lion that got climbed up in a tree in his front yard. And he climbed the tree with a gun, a, a rifle, and pointed the rifle at the mountain lion. And the, 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 the mountain lion bit the gun and marked the gun. And one of my family members still have the, the gun with the marks on it. But he wasn't able to kill it. The gun fell to the ground. And he took his knife and just like that, whatever that word is, and, and killed the thing. That's over, that's over 150 years ago, and my family is still talking about what happened in his life. That was a defining moment of like macho and toughness and stuff like that. So one day I'm going to lay it on my son when he's whining about not wanting to do something. I'll be like, hey, your grandfather killed a a mountain lion with a knife, man. You could at least put your clothes away and do what your mama says. You know, something like that. <laughs> but, but listen, there are stories that become defining in families. And this is Abraham's. Also, the call of Abram is a beaming testimony of faithfulness. But also, Abram's act of obedience is truly humbling. When we actually think about what Abraham did, it's humbling. Friends, we know the rest of the story. Abraham didn't know the rest of the story. We know that this is a whole process where God's going to bring the kingdom of God to earth by bringing the seed of Abraham, which is ultimately Christ, and God is working all this together for good. Abraham doesn't know any of that yet. He just knows God says, go out there, and I'm going to do something great in your life. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, we already read it. Let's look at it again. By faith. Abram obeyed. His obedience is truly humbling. He was 75 years old. His wife was 65 years old. We're typically kind of settling down at that point in our life, are we not? And here is a man who is settled in his father's property amongst his relatives. And God says, get up and get out and he goes. He was 75 years old and he counted the cost and he went. Abram's act of obedience is truly humbling when we think about what Abram did. Also, Abram's sense of responsibility is worthy of imitation. I want you to look down in verse number five, what the scripture says. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and his brother's son, Lot. Now, Let's understand what's going on here. So who was Lot? Well, Lot is the son of Haran, which is Abram's younger brother, which died in Ur of the Chaldees. We read it last week in Genesis chapter 11. So Genesis 11 also said, Terah, Abram's father, dies in Haran. So now Abram is the man of the house. He is the now patriarch of the family. And what's interesting, Nahor, who's still living, Abraham's brother, um, he, he is still living so he can take care of his family. Abram, in his call to follow God, does not neglect his responsibility to his family. Lot's daddy has died, so Abram takes Lot. 
man, when you think about not only the beaming testimony of faithfulness and the humbling obedience of Abraham, but his sense of responsibility. Abram's sense of responsibility is worthy of imitation. I say this often when I talk to young men. The lines between the men and the boys rest on one word, and that is responsibility. The lines between the men and the boys rest on one word, and that is is responsibility. I saw a movie, it's been probably 15 years ago, and I just remember it being horrible. Uh, Not like, I don't remember it being inappropriate, I just remember it just being bad, and it was called 10,000 BC. But the one thing that I remember out of this movie was one scene where there's the main character, the protagonist in the story, doesn't know who his father is, and his father was a great man, and people are telling the main character about his father. And he said, let me, one man tells him what his father was like. He said, there are some men who draw a circle around themselves, taking responsibility for themselves, and then stand in the circle. And he says, and then there are other men who draw not only a circle around themselves, but a circle around themselves and their family, and then they take responsibility for their family. And then he says, but then there are other men still who draw a large circle, not just around themselves, not just around their family, but around a great host of people taking responsibility for beyond not just their life and their own life, but their neighbors as well. Your father was such a man. What an inspirational thing. Even in a horrible movie, you can find a gem gem every now and again. But, But that's it, right? That's, that's it. Like, now, we all know that there are men that don't. I'm not trying to pick on men. Ladies can be irresponsible too. But, but listen, we all know there are men that don't even take responsibility for themselves. They don't even draw a circle around themselves. You know, mom still has to, like, get them out of bed in the morning to make sure they go to work. And they're in their 50s. So, I mean, it's a, it's a problem, right? Now, I, I know there are, prob- there are situations. People have health problems and people have uh, mental illness and things like that. I, 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 listen, I'm not going to be judging anybody. But we all know that such things out there exist, that men that don't even take responsibility even in adulthood. And by the way, for those of you who are in this room and you're single and you're a man and you don't take responsibility, let me just give you a hint. No woman is saying, God, please send me that. Listen, no woman is praying that. In fact, if they want that, they want it like Sarah McLaughlin wants orphaned pets. All right? They don't don't actually want one. They want to take care of one because they feel sorry for it. You're never going to lead your home in that way. Responsibility is the word. Responsibility is the word. And Abram is a man of responsibility. This is one of those stories that you could sit down with your son and say... Son, look at this guy. He hears God and he obeys. But then he also takes responsibility for his family. For his family. That's what I love so much about Abram's story. But not only this, that Abram's posture of worship is inspiring. When he first gets to Canaan land, he builds an altar and he worships. Look down in verse number eight. Verse number eight says this. And it says, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. 
What's he doing? He is acknowledging his God and he is giving thanks. When we look at Abraham's life, this is a beaming testimony of faithfulness. His obedience is humbling. Would we be willing to do that at 75 years old? To take a risk like Abraham is seemingly taking just because he believes that God has led him and is going to honor it? Also, would we be willing to take responsibility? It's one of the things to take responsibility for your own kid. To take responsibility for your family beyond that, as Abraham had, so worthy of imitation. Is our life so defined that when we get to the place where we're going, that the first thing we do is we stop and we pray? I was watching a, a movie with my kids a couple of weeks ago, and it's the Swiss Family Robinsons. Have y'all seen that one? It's an older one, but we have this service called Disney Plus, and you can watch the old ones and the new ones. And we watched the Swiss Family Robinsons, and they were a family who was shipwrecked, and then they find their way to this island somewhere, I don't know where it was, I can't remember, somewhere in the Pacific, I guess. But they, they're shipwrecked, and... And they have to get from the wrecked ship to the island. And it's a very perilous little journey. And once they get there in the movie, they finally make it to shore. And the, the husband and the sons are looking at each other. And the, the father figure says, well, the first thing that we need to do is get shelter up. And then the mom says, not the first thing. And then she bows to her knees. And then they all bow and pray. And I was like, this is so wholesome. Why don't they make movies like this anymore? And I was able to tell my kids, yes, that's it. The first thing you do when God blesses you is you say thank you because it doesn't have to be this way. God is still good even on bad days. So when you have a good one, you fall to your knees and you say thank you. And when you have a bad one, you can still fall to your knees and say, God, thank you that not every day is like today. There is so much we have to be thankful for. Which brings me to the next thing. The first is that the Bible is filled with stories of human faithfulness. And Abraham is a good one. But secondly, there is not a single life marked by faith which is also, not also, marred by folly. There is not a single life marked by faith which is not also marred by folly. Remember the message title is She's My Sister Faith. The man we're talking about as the beaming lighthouse of faithfulness in the Old Testament, the first thing he does after he gets to Canaan land is leave and then lie about his wife and is willing for his wife to go into another man's house and be that man's wife. And also, let's not forget about the deception going on here he is doing this so that he may be treated well from the Egyptians and gain wealth. That's what we call swindling. This is really bad. This is what, listen, I don't know if you've thought about this. The founder of our faith is a con man in this story. Like this is what, the, the whole story of the Bible. Genesis 12, it's based on a con man's story right but it's not no it's the man of faith who in this story was a con man you see one of the things that i re reason one of the reasons i believe about believe the bible is the word of god is because how different the bible is from modern faith biographies 
When you read modern faith biographies about Christians who've lived their lives, you only read about their triumphs. Nobody ever writes about their failures. You can read and go to the library and read a wonderful biography on John Wesley, the Anglican minister that became a, uh, the founder of the Wesleyan and Methodist movement. Most of the biographies don't tell you that his wife got so mad at him one time, she chased him down the street with a lamplighter. And that you also don't read that he died bankrupt and almost estranged from his family. It's like, wait a second. You tried to hate on Wesleyanism? No, I love John Wesley. But here's what I'm saying. The reason we don't know those stories is because we don't tell them. And I understand. We want to be polite and respect people. I get that. But the Bible tells you everything. It tells you the good and the bad. Because it turns out that people are complex. Listen, there's not a single person in history who can stand up to scrutiny. There's not a single person in history who can stand up to scrutiny. This is why we went over Genesis 8.21 last week. I'm just going to read you the highlighted portion. It's going to be on the screen. This is what God says after he floods the earth. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. God is acknowledging here. In Genesis 8, I realize what I'm working with. I know what I'm working with. Men are just dust. Women are just dust. And they're all sinners. Every single person you've ever known, every spiritual giant you've ever been around is just as much a sinner as the next person. Because we all fall short. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12 says this, What then? Are Jews better off? Not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Folks, human folly is not the blip on the radar. It's the blimp in the sky. A blip on the radar is just something that appears for a moment. It just flashes and then it's gone. A blimp just sits there. I had uh, lunch this week with one of my friends here in our church, uh, and there is a picture. That's actually me talking to a guy in the parking lot. He saw my Mississippi College shirt, and he said, Hey, uh, young man, my son just started Mississippi College. And so I talked to him. Turns out he was from Brookhaven. I know the guy. I know his cousin. It was a neat little story. But uh, the guy behind me, Ricky, what, apparently there was a Goodyear blimp up there, and I didn't see it. But uh, Ricky took a picture of this, and it wasn't until later that I saw it, and I was like, well, how about that? There it is, just floating up in the sky. It reminded me of another picture. These are barrage balloons. Now, this picture was taken from uh, World War II. The, you see the balloons that are floating there. They look like miniature blimps. You've probably seen these before. These were to prevent air raids. These balloons were attached by steel cables, and they were spread out like a web. The cables were like a spider's web, so it would prevent the dive bomber from getting too close to the ship or too close to the installation on the ground to prevent 
people from getting within range of having a close shot. And I begin to think about that, is that often we pretend that we don't have sin in our lives. I mean, we want to put forward a good front. But here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we try to get so much distance to between us and our folly, but it's hanging over everybody. Some of ours is more known than others, but everybody's got it. Do not be deceived. Everybody has got it. Um, the next thing is, is the Bible is not God's story about heroes. It is God's story about humans. Now, humans can do heroic things. But the reason Abram is a man worthy of imitation is not because he was a man without sin. It's because Abram was a man of faith. He was a man of faith. So let's go to the next thing. The story of the faithfulness of Abram is the story of faithful himself. If you want to know the real reason we're still telling the story of Abram, it's not because of Abram. It's because of the one who is called faithful. The original, old, faithful. In fact, God's covenant name in the Old Testament that he reveals to Moses means just that. It means faithful. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Which this statement, the I am, is interchangeable throughout the Old Testament with Yahweh or Jehovah. And he said, say to the people, I am has sent me to you. Now, I am that I am or I am who I am means this. I've always been, and I will always be who I've always been. I will continue to be that who I've always been. This is what faithfulness means. God is saying, you tell them the one who doesn't change is the one who called you and sent you to the people. The story of God's faithfulness to Abram is the story ultimately not about Abram, but it's the story about God. And so what that means is whom God calls, he uses. I love Romans 8, 31 through 39, where it talks about those who are elect of God, those who are called by God to be, do a good work in his name. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, here's the blessing of the call of God. Whom God calls, he uses, and also whom God calls, he keeps. That's the final thing, is that when we look at the story of Abraham, you see a story of faithfulness. But you also see here, she's my sister. When you think about what Abraham did here, this is a low blow. Could you imagine that awkward conversation when Sarai came home for the first time? Coffee in the morning. Hey, I'm back. Did what you wanted me to do. Grateful I could accommodate. Or maybe she didn't say a thing. Maybe it's silent treatment. What was Abraham to say? Super weird. Super awkward. It's messy. Even the lives of the faithful are messy. There's only one kind of person that God uses, and that's someone who can be a fake. Because there's only one that's consistent 100%, and that's Jesus. So this message should remind us in the mark of faith, God uses them. Do you know God uses hypocrites? Now keep in mind, when Jesus talks about hypocrites, he is accusing the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of knowing what they were and being intentionally committed to being a fake. I'm using the word hypocrite as someone who at times is hypocritical, and there's a huge difference. Jesus saves sinners. This story tells us not only that Jesus saves sinners, but Jesus uses sinners. And this story tells us not only that he saves them and he uses them, but he keeps them. Even as disgusting, as embarrassing, as dishonest as Abraham is here, he's still called the man of faith. So I want you to think about your own life for a minute. My favorite verse, and if you've gotten a note in the mail from me or an email or something on Facebook, in almost every situation, I include this verse, my favorite one, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Another translation, he who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. The man of faith even had a season of craziness. And now some of us may be in that season of craziness. Some of us may be in a season of apathy. Some of us may be in a season where we've taken our eye off the ball and we're just coasting. I want you to know you may have taken your eyes off of God, but he's not taken his eyes off of you. And who knows, God may use this message in my heart or yours to get our attention, to remind us of who he is and that, you know what, even in crazy situations like this, God can be trusted. There's a children's song, and you know it. It's going to be on the screen. He's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. 
how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. How many of y'all sang that when you were a child? I didn't know there was a verse until this week. Here's the verse. There really ought to be a sign up on my heart. Don't judge him yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be better just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's loving hand. Then it goes back to the chorus. Why don't you sing it with me today? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took me just him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. And he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the life of Abraham, Lord, today is an embarrassing chapter. And Lord, we have them too. Help us not to be so foolish to mistake the moment for the man. And Lord, be reminded that we are not held by our faithfulness, but the faithfulness of Jesus. Lord, I pray today that you would encourage our hearts and we would be reminded those who leave a legacy of faith have never batted a thousand. There is a place for each of us in the mark of faith. For it's in Christ's name, amen and amen.